Luke chapter 18. And we'll be in verses 15 through 30 this morning. I recently read the story of Esther in the Old Testament in my uh, Bible reading plan. Uh, if you remember that story, it's a great story. It's a, you could sit down this afternoon and read it if you, you, know, you don't have a novel you're going through or something. Feel free to sit down and read the book of Esther. It's a wonderful story with a great cast of characters. Uh, in the story of, the, of Esther in the Old Testament, there's a, the, the, the villain is, is wicked Haman. Um, and Haman has convinced the, the king of, of Persia to let him set apart a day when all the Jewish people are going to be killed, are going to be murdered. In particular, one Jew that Haman hated above all others, his name was Mordecai. Mordecai hears about this pronouncement that all the Jews are going to be killed on this one particular day. And so he cries out to God for help. But not only does he cry out for God, but he turns to um, his cousin, Esther. Esther had been elevated into the kingdom and was actually the, the queen at that time. And Mordecai tells Esther about this situation and, and says that she needs to go before the king and plead for the Jewish people. That she needs to step into the king's court and say, these, these are my people and they should not be, be killed. The only dilemma is that, that as queen, she, even as queen, she's not guaranteed that if she steps into the king's court that the, that the king will welcome her. And in fact, if the king does not welcome her, the sentence is death. And so in order to plead for her people, she has to step into this court with the possibility that the king might say no and pronounce death upon her. So we know the end of the story, but that's a, that's a pretty big deal. And that's why we have that famous uh, verse from Esther where she says, I will go in even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. And we know the story that she steps in and the king holds out the scepter and, and welcomes her in. I thought about that story because I, I think in this section of Luke, much of what Jesus is doing is, is kind of asking the question, who gets in? Who gets into the kingdom? Who's able to come before Jesus, and, and to whom does Jesus welcome the hand and say, you are welcome into my kingdom? Who, who can come and, and ask for eternal life and, and receive it and be welcomed into God's heavenly courts? Who, who is it that gets in? And what we find in this story that is that there are unexpected people that are welcomed into the kingdom. So these are the big questions we're asking. How, how do we get into the kingdom? What must we do to inherit eternal life? Who can be saved? And throughout chapter 18, the way that Jesus continues to answer those questions is surprising, it's, it's startling, and especially to the disciples. So last week we saw that there, there this parable, the tax collector and the, the Pharisee, and they come to the temple. And it's obvious to everyone that, that the religious, God-fearing, generous, law-abiding Pharisee is the guy who has the best chance to get into heaven, to get into the kingdom. But instead, what does Jesus do? Jesus commends the tax collector, the wicked, nasty tax collector, because he comes into the temple, and what does he do? He says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He seeks mercy. He doesn't come in prideful self-confidence. So we continue to wonder, who, who can be saved? Who's going to be welcomed into this, this kingdom? Just as the disciples wondered. And, and in this section of Luke, there's some startling answers. We're going, to, we're going to see a contrast similarly in our passage today between, between children who were outcast in society and a rich ruler. Later on, we're going to, we're going to watch a blind beggar 
crying out to Jesus. And the disciples say, no, you need to be quiet. And Jesus, in fact, welcomes him and says, blind beggar. That's the kind of guy that is welcome in my kingdom. And then at the beginning of chapter 19, we're going to meet another tax collector, an extremely short one. Uh, His name is Zacchaeus, and you know that story. He's despised by the town. He's up a tree, literally. And Jesus goes seeking out this tax collector and finds him and says, I want to eat at your house. And he repents and is welcomed into the kingdom. These are the folks that are held up as examples. So we're presented with this this cast of characters, with tax collectors and, and children and blind beggars and Zacchaeus. And Jesus is telling us, look at these guys, because these are the people that are welcome in my kingdom. They inherit eternal life. And then set up next to them are those that we would expect to be accepted. People who would, we would naturally respect. But Jesus says that their lack of faith and their wrong-headed ways about how to follow Jesus mean that they are not welcome into the kingdom of God. They do not inherit eternal life. So today we're going to consider these questions of how do we get into the kingdom of God? Who inherits eternal life? And, and we're going to find in our passage today that, that if we long for that, if, you, if we want eternal life, if we want to be welcome into the kingdom, then this is the truth we need to know. We must come to God like faith-filled children, not self-confident rich young rulers. <laughs> we must come to God like faith-filled children, not self-confident rich young rulers. Let's read these verses together In Luke 18, I'm going to start in verse 15, and we're going to go through verse 30. There's probably a break in your Bible, as in mine, between verses 17 and 18, but I think that these are tied together, and hopefully we'll see why. So Luke 18, beginning in verse 15. Now they were bringing even infants to him, that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. We must come to God like faith-filled children, not self-confident rich young rulers. Right in verse 15, we see that people are bringing children 
to Jesus, that he might touch them, that he might bless them. Maybe this is their mothers and their, and their fathers that are bringing them. They're coming to Jesus. They want a blessing from him for their kids. But as, as they come close, they're met by the bouncers at this party. Um, they're all wearing black t-shirts with white letters on the back. They say security. Uh, and they have this velvet rope set up so that, that no one gets in to see Jesus unless they decide it's okay. Um, and these are the disciples. And it's clear that to the disciples that children are not welcome to come and to see Jesus. Uh, children were not valued in society at this time, especially very young children. Uh, they were loved, I'm sure, but they were to be seen and not heard. Um, they had no nothing to offer to society until they were older, and so they were seen sort of as a burden. So the disciples see people bringing children to Jesus, and they, and they push them away. They, they say, Jesus doesn't have time for this. Jesus is a busy man. There's much more important people that he needs to talk to. You know, people that are rich. People that might be rulers in society. That's the people that Jesus needs to talk to. But that's not what Jesus thought, is it? He tells his disciples, let the children come here. Don't, don't stop them. I think there's a beauty to the picture there. Before we even get to the illustration and, and part of the purpose, it, it, there's just a beautiful picture of that, isn't there? I mean, there's been sculptures made about it and things like that. You see um, paintings. But it is a beautiful thing to think about Jesus welcoming children. You know, just imagine that Jesus kneels down and, and he, he, he talks to them. He picks them up in his arms. You know, he asks them, hey, how old are you? What's your favorite food? You know, things like that. He talks to them about, about who God is. He, he teaches the children. He has time for these little kids. He blesses them. I just want to draw from that, just, you know, as a side note, let's have hearts that welcome children, hearts that, that love children, that want to bless children. As I prayed, I even said, you know, we live in a society that, that sometimes our society worships children, probably wrongly, you know. But we also, in our society, we see children as a nuisance or as an inconvenience. A culture that's even willing to kill a child before it's born because it might infringe on my idea of what life is supposed to be like. We live in a culture that abuses children. A culture that exploits children. Whether on the internet or in dark corners of this world where children are bought and sold. It's a dark place for kids in this world. Even within our own city, it's a dark place. And so as a church and as Christians, let's be a place of of love and a place of blessing for children, where children are welcomed, that we love kids, we value kids, because that's what Jesus shows to us, and we want to be like Jesus. Now, why does Jesus welcome the children in this particular instance? Certainly because he values them, but also because of what they can teach the crowd then and what they can teach all of us. Of course, we all know that children are not perfect, If you weren't sure of that, I'll tell you, children are not perfect. They are born in sin, and they exhibit that sin uh, very early on in life. (laughs) But there's something about kids that as they begin to understand who God is, they get this concept about who Jesus is and about what what faith is. There's a beauty to the simplicity of the faith of a child. Haven't we seen this? They They just believe. They believe who God is. They believe who Jesus is. And there's something so lovely about that. And so Jesus holds up, up children as an example. And he does this often. He says they're an example of how we need to have faith. We need to pray like children. 
Back in chapter 9 in verses uh, 46 through 48, he uses children as an, as an example. In chapter 9, verse 46, the, there's an argument amongst the disciples about who is the greatest. <laughs> Great argument there. But in verse 47, Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to the disciples, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is the greatest. And so here Jesus holds up children as an example of, of how we are to receive the kingdom of God, how we are to welcome the kingdom of God. He says that those who belong to the kingdom of God are those who receive the kingdom of God like little children. The kingdom of God is made up of men and women and children who are childlike. Not childish. <laughs> childlike. There's a sense in which those that are in the kingdom are kind of like Peter Pan and the Lost Boys. We won't grow up, you know. They, they, there's something about that, that, that they won't get beyond. We won't get beyond the, the beauty of simple faith in Jesus. We're willing to believe things that can't be seen. Kids believe that so quickly, you know. They believe things that that don't totally make sense. They'll take something that is an apparent contradiction, and they, they can hold both things in, in their hands and say, I don't understand it, but I believe it. And there's, there's something about that, about the Christian faith, where, you know, we're never going to get it all completely explained. I'm not saying that, that the Christian faith is irrational. I think it's one of the most rational. It, it makes the most sense of the world that we live in, I think. But there's a point at which I can't make sense of everything. There's a point at which we have to have faith. And kids are willing to have faith. And if we're like children, we're willing to have faith. Even when we can't make sense of everything, when all the lines don't come together, we're willing to say, I don't understand it all, but I will believe. We'll think more about what it means to have faith like a child in a little bit. But the scene sort of shifts in verse 18, because this ruler comes to Jesus. We don't know he's rich until later on in the passage, but I would assume that it was obvious to everyone else maybe by the clothes that he wore or the way that he carried himself in this, this company. And as he comes, uh, the disciples, they sort of they pull back the ropes. They push this guy to the front of the line. Oh, this is a guy that needs to come and see Jesus. This is surely someone who's worthy of talking to Jesus, not like these kids. I mean, surely he's, he's a prime candidate to be welcomed into the kingdom of God. He tells the disciples, I have a question for Jesus. I want to ask Jesus what I need to do to inherit eternal life. And it's, oh... What a great question. Let's, you, you come right up here. I'm sorry all these kids are here, but you know, they'll clear out eventually. You know, in Matthew and in Mark, both times this story with the rich ruler is preceded by the same thing with the children. And, and so I wonder if the kids are still there. I mean, that's, you know, I like to imagine what it would be like. But I, I just imagine Jesus maybe kneeling or squatting to interact with the child as this ruler sort of approaches Maybe even you can think about Jesus holding a squirming toddler while he's having this conversation with the ruler, which surely would have made the ruler upset, but that's just in my mind what was going on. He's, he's almost telling truth, but showing truth at the same time. And so this, this ruler comes to Jesus and says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do to get into the kingdom of God, Jesus? Didn't Jesus just answer that? Was this guy not listening? Didn't he, didn't he just say, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it? How do you get into the kingdom of God? Like a child. 
with childlike faith. He, he wasn't listening. So, I mean, is Jesus just going to say, weren't you listening? Didn't you hear what I just said? He doesn't, does he? He gives them an answer. But before he answers them, he deals with this, this address, good teacher. And I think he deals with that because this man's understanding of goodness is key to getting into his heart and what he's, what he's trusting in. Jesus points out, he says, you know, there's only one that's good. There's only one that is truly good, that is morally perfect, and that is God. I don't think Jesus is denying his own deity, but I think he's helping this man think about what holiness is, what goodness is. Because this ruler, he's sort of throwing that term around, you know. And he's throwing around a little loose. I think he, he, he says, Jesus, you're good. And I think he's probably thinking, just like me, I'm pretty good too. And so he comes with this concept of, of goodness. And so Jesus comes and he just sort of crushes that right away, you know. Good teacher. No one's good. God alone is good. And that includes you, buddy. <laughs> you're not good either. And he says that, probably throws the guy back on his heels a little bit. And then Jesus gives an answer. Um, but it's not a new answer. I think this guy maybe was looking for something new, something special that Jesus could say, but he just he says, you know the commandments. And then he lists the second table of the Ten Commandments. So the Ten Commandments are, are divided often into our relationship with God and our relationship with others. You may call it um, how to love God um, with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and how to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so he lists five of those commandments don't commit adultery don't murder steal don't bear false witness don't honor and don't yeah honor your father and mother you should honor your father and mother uh, interesting the one that he leaves out is coveting i don't know if that's on purpose or not but that's the one that's missing interesting now if jesus says that to you and me says that to us the right response is what well, Jesus, I'm doomed. <laughs> I'm in big trouble. I, 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 can't, I can't keep that list. The right response is, Jesus, be merciful to me, a sinner. But that's not this guy's response, is it? What's his response? He, he sort of, you know, he motions to one of the children that are there around Jesus. I've done that since I was his age, you know. I, I, I've been keeping all these commands forever. He wants something more. He wants something more to, to do. But Jesus, in fact, wants him to, to do less. <laughs> he wants him to do less and to trust more. And so Jesus, in follow-up, gives a command that, that sort of pinpoints and pulls out the idol that's in this guy's heart. The thing that he was really trusting. The thing that he was really worshiping. It's, it's there. It's in verse 22. It says, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. You need one thing, buddy. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. It sounds like Jesus keeps giving this guy things he needs to do, right? Which is, he said, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And it seems like Jesus is, is giving him more things to do. So is Jesus saying that heaven is earned by law keeping? Or by selling all of our possessions and giving it to the poor. Because that's what it sounds like he's saying, doesn't it? I think the answer to that is, is no. The New Testament tells us that. And in the New Testament, especially in the teachings of Jesus, Jesus has no issue with talking about faith and works in the same hand and equating the two. 
And, and even saying that works and obedience to the law are intricately tied to what true faith is. Faith always leads to obedience. True faith is always worked out in our lives. We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. There's all, there are always works that follow with it. So what is what does this guy lack? I think that phrase is interesting, isn't it? One thing you still lack. There's just one thing. What did he lack? Is it a final good deed? I don't think it's a final good deed. What he lacked was faith in God. Faith in God alone. And so Jesus points out what he's trusting in. He's not trusting in God. He's not trusting in Jesus. He's trusting in himself. And he's trusting in money. He was trusting that that money proved that he had done what was right. That he was blessed by God. And he wasn't willing to let go of that idol. And so he walks away sad. He was extremely sad because he was extremely rich. Isn't that ironic? (laughs) We think that people who are extremely rich are extremely happy, but in this section, being extremely rich made this guy extremely sad because he was holding on to it so tightly. In response, what does Jesus say? Verse 24, how difficult it is for those who are wealthy to get into the kingdom of heaven. Oh, how hard it is for them. It's, it's easier, he says, to get a camel through the eye of a needle. And he's, as he says that, all the kids laugh. Because that's hilarious. That's funny, we hear that, but that's really funny. I think Jesus is trying to be funny. He says it's easier to get a camel through the eye of a needle. I brought a needle. My wife put it in here so I wouldn't lose it. This is a needle. So small. Can you see the eye of the needle? I mean, you can't hardly... I can hardly see it, and I'm right here. Eye of a needle right there. A camel I looked up could be as tall as six feet to the shoulders. That's me. I'm six foot tall. That's the shoulder of the camel. We're not even talking about the humps and the head, right? That thing's big, and it's going to get through here. That's funny. I mean, imagine, imagine a camel lumbering up to this and just going, well, I could just get my foot through. You know, I mean, that, that's funny. And Jesus is saying, that's, that's what it's like. And so all the kids, they, they think that's hilarious. But the adults weren't laughing. The adults, the adults didn't think that was funny because here's, here's a ruler. A ruler with money. A ruler with money who kept the law perfectly. If anyone's going to get into the kingdom, it's this guy. And Jesus says, whew, it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of the needle than for that guy to get into the kingdom of heaven. And so what do they say in response to that? Verse 26, then who can be saved? I mean, if this guy's out, we're all doomed. None of us have any hope. And Jesus says, yeah, that's the point. (laughs) He says, you're right. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Jesus is clear about who can earn their way into heaven. And the answer is no one. Absolutely no one. Rich, poor, good, evil. No one can earn their way into heaven. No one that is apart from God. Salvation is a miracle of God every single time. Every single time, anyone who's saved is because of the goodness and the greatness of God. 
We can only enter the kingdom like faith-filled children. We can't get in if we're self-confident rich young rulers. Because if we're self-confident rich young rulers, we won't think that Jesus can squeeze us through the eye of a needle. And that's what it's going to take to get us in. What, what, what does faith like a child look like in contrast to this confident rich young ruler? What, what does it look like? What, what's, a, what's a child going to say? A child's going to say, God alone is good, not me. Uh, that's not what the rich young ruler said. He said, look at me, I'm good. I can keep all these commandments. A child's going to say, I can't do enough good. That's what faith like a child looks like. A, a child's going to say, money is meaningless to God. You, you ever give a child money? They have no concept of what money is. You know, you give a child a dollar and, and you made their day. You know, this is the greatest day of my life. They find a penny on the ground. This is wonderful. Look, I have money. I'm putting this in my bank. They, they love it. But they don't get it. And that's good. Because <laughs> this guy put all his confidence in money. And a child says, money, I, I don't know. It doesn't really mean much to me. But a child also says, God can do anything. God can do anything, including squeeze me into heaven if he wants to. I think this is the response of, a, of the heart of a child. A child says, I can't. God can. So I believe. That's what, the, that's what this, uh, this um, ruler wasn't willing to say. He wasn't willing to say, I can't. But the first step of faith is someone who says, I, I, I don't have enough good. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I, I, I can't get in. I can't do enough good deeds to get into heaven. I have no hope on my own. But the faith of a child also says, well, but God can do it. The faith of a child says, God, you could get a camel through the eye of a needle if you really wanted to. I know you could do it. Because you're God, you can do whatever you want. And if you can get a camel through the eye of the needle, then you can get me into heaven. Because it's just as hard and just as impossible apart from you. And the child says, well, then I believe. So the disciples are hearing all this. They're sitting by and they, you know, they thought the same thing. This guy's in for sure. And Jesus says, no, I need to sell all your possessions. And it's impossible apart from God. And so Peter says, Lord... We've left our homes and followed you. He's trying to to figure this out. So Jesus says, I need to sell everything, and then I'll have treasure in heaven. Now, okay, I haven't sold everything, but I I left my family, Jesus. I I left my home. Is that enough? I think Jesus then, in a sense, says, yes, you have. You have done that, and therefore, you have eternal life. Now, Did the disciples get eternal life because they have given up everything? Did they earn their salvation because they gave those things up? No. But their giving up of everything was evidence that they had faith like children and that they really did believe. I think that's Jesus' point. He says, He says, Truly I say to you, or the old King James, Verily, verily, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God. All of that is evidence of true faith. True faith works itself out in obedience and it works itself out in giving up all for the sake of Christ. And if that happens, then we will receive many more of those things in this time. We will be blessed in this time and in the age to come, what? Eternal life. Isn't that what the guy wanted? And so the book ends in this passage. He comes and he says, what do I need to get? What do I need to do to get eternal life? And Jesus says to the disciples, you have eternal life. 
because you believe and your faith has worked itself out in the fact that you have given up all to follow me. And so therefore, you get eternal life. And as he says that, you can almost see the rich young ruler walking off in the sunset. Sad. He had tons of money, but he did not have what he came looking for. He did not have eternal life. The only way to get into the kingdom of God is to have faith like a little child. Faith that says, I can't. God can. So I believe. We can't be like rich young rulers. Let me give you some questions to apply this to your heart. Maybe one or two of these will really pierce you. I pray the Spirit would do that. Just some thoughts about this. Here's, here's one from the perspective of the disciples. Who, who do we disapprove or approve of coming to Jesus? Who do I think God, that, that Jesus welcomes? And who do I think that, that Jesus pushes away? We all have categories of people like that. We all have people that are the rich young rulers that Jesus really wants on his team. We all have the children that he would rather not have. It's as if God is, you know, it's a game of kickball, and he's one of the captains. And he knows who he wants on his team, and so he calls them onto his team. And we know who we'd want on our team, and so we assume that's who Jesus wants on his team. What prejudice do you have as far as who God is willing to welcome into his kingdom? Because Jesus seems to say that it's tax collectors and children and blind beggars and guys like Zacchaeus that are welcome into the kingdom of God. So who do we approve and disapprove of coming to Jesus? Uh, Second question, what is our understanding of God's standard of holiness? What is our understanding of God's standard of holiness, of what the definition of good is? Have I gotten confused like this guy? I think we can get confused. We start to think, God is good, and so am I. (laughs) We get so confused and we don't realize that the difference between the, the goodness of God, the glory of God, the greatness of God, the purity of God, and us, there's really no comparison at all. There is no comparison at all because there is in us, apart from Jesus, no good thing. And any good in us is from God himself. What's our understanding of God's standard of holiness? What are we trusting in and worshiping other than God? That's another question. What was this guy trusting in and worshiping other than God? Money and himself. What are the idols in my heart? What are the things that I'm trusting? What are the things that I love more than God? What are you holding on to that's keeping you from fully trusting in God? Is it sin? Is there some sin that you love so much that you're not willing to lay it down to come to faith in Christ? Is there some sort of self-confidence that you have that I'm okay, God will accept me because everyone else seems to? What am I worshiping other than God? What am I trusting in? Follow up to that. Have we come to, to, to Jesus with the faith of a child? Have we come to Jesus with the faith of a child? How about this one? Is my faith evidenced in my life? So true faith always works itself out in practical ways. And it works itself out in obeying these commandments, as this guy said he, he did, but also in giving up all for the sake of Christ, in, in loving Christ more than anything else. So is that evidenced in my life? Am I walking in faith? Am I just saying I have faith? 
Faith is not just something that's said with our mouth. It's something that's seen in our actions. It has to happen. And how about this, just as a closing question. Will will you go away sad today? Isn't that what the rich young ruler did? He walked away sad. Walked away so sad. He didn't have to, though, did he? I mean, it was right there in front. What would have happened? Can you imagine this? What if the story was that the rich young ruler said, Okay, Jesus, I'll do it. He went home, he sold everything that he had, and he went and followed Jesus. You know who he would be like? He'd be like that guy that found a treasure hidden in a field. Remember him? Finds the treasure hidden in his field. And what does he do? He goes and he sells everything that he has so that he can go and buy that field because he found a treasure. That guy would have sold everything that he had. He would have come back to Jesus and he would have had more joy than he ever could have and than he ever did in all of these earthly treasures that he had. So what do you want to do? You want to hold on to all that junk? You want to hold on to your self-confidence? You want to hold on to money and possessions? <laughs> it doesn't really matter because what are we all really looking for? What do I need to do to get eternal life? That's what I need. All the money and possessions, they don't matter they don't matter at all in light of eternity. And if we, would willing, if we are willing to give them up to gain eternal life, we will be the happiest people in the world. And not only that, because, because Jesus asks you to give it all up, and then what does he say? You get it all back. You get it all back in this life, he says. You're going to have it. Those who forsake, even their family, are given a family in the family of God. Those who lose all their possessions really find true joy. But he wants to hold on to his life. If he wants to hold on to his life, then he's got to lose it. If you're going to try to save your life by keeping it, you'll never get it. But Jesus says the way to save our lives is by giving them up and giving them to Christ. You know, I think some of us believe in Jesus, but we are walking around sad. We're feeling like we're missing something. Jesus, I've given you all this stuff. I've given you everything and it's not happy. Because we still want the stuff. <laughs> We've given it up, but we just we keep thinking that that's where our joy is. It's not where the joy is. The joy is in Christ. And it's in Jesus ultimately that we find all these things. It's in Jesus that we that we find home, that we find wife and brother and parent and children, that we find father, that we find a brother in Jesus. Jesus is the one that satisfies all these desires. And then in the age to come, He gives us eternal life. So, if you want to get into the kingdom, what, who, who gets into the kingdom? Who, who gets eternal life? Who is saved? It's not self-confident, rich, young rulers. You know what it is? It's little kids who say, Jesus could get me through there. Not because I'm good, but because with God all things are possible, even my salvation. Let's take a moment of silence. Heavenly Father, afresh and anew this morning, we, we humble ourselves and we become childlike. Lord, we confess that we can't, but you can, and so we believe.
our confidence for our salvation and for anything else is in you alone. Let him, we believe that if we have faith, we will give up all things for the sake of the kingdom. And in giving them up, we will find life. We will find joy. We will find peace. And in the end, Lord, we have eternal life waiting for us. Lord, help us to walk away this morning with joy. I pray, God, that in your kindness you would keep people from walking away sad, from holding on to things, to holding on to their own confidence in themselves and in their good deeds, that they would lay them down and put their trust and their faith in you alone. I would make us little children. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.